For the Dharma talk this week, I wanted to talk about the mythology of Shakyamuni Buddha, the Buddha that we tend to think of as the Buddha, right? Of, of course, in, in, in Buddhism, there are an infinite number of Buddhas, some of them very famous in different traditions, some of them uh, not so much in others. But, and, and, of, and of course, uh, there's this thought that all of us are Buddha, or that we all will awaken fully, just like Shakyamuni Buddha, at some point. So, but this is specifically about the, the mythology of Shakyamuni, the one who sits under the tree and has an awakening experience, and then shares this with all of humanity, and, and leads us up to this very moment where I'm talking about him. Right. Specifically, I want to talk about a problem I had with the myth of the Buddha. Uh, when I first learned the sort of outline of the, of the myth of the life of Siddhartha and his transition into the Buddha, I found it every bit worthy of every golden statue that exists of the Buddha and why we revere him and why we think of him as, as so uh, incredible and, and perfect, if I dare say. But then I learned more of the story, uh, some details of the story, and all of a sudden I, I found those golden statues were a little bit like maybe not as golden, maybe not as shiny. And, and I wondered about it. What does this mean? Because, you know, we, in a lot of traditions, you know, the, the Buddha is seen as a, a being of perfection, right? That he, he was, pro, there were prophecies that, that, he would, that he would come. There were tales of his past lives, of ever-increasing merit that lay, lead to this inevitable conclusion where he is truly special in what he uh, figures out for himself and then is able to share with us. And that he is something, you know, truly, truly kind of next level special, right? I mean, statues kind of look that way, right? But if we look at the story, there, there are some things that, that uh, knocked me around a little bit. So, let's get into it. Very briefly, the legend of, of Shakyamuni Buddha starts about 26, 2700 years ago. There's a prince named Siddhartha. He lives in northern India, and when he's uh, a child, or uh, when he's very, very small, or maybe it's even before he's born, there's a prophecy that he will grow up to either be a holy man or a great leader. And upon hearing this, his father, Suddhodana, King Suddhodana, you know, has, has pretty good ideas of which direction he'd like his son to take, right? He wants him to be king. So in order to keep him away from the holy man path, he essentially imprisons him in the palace walls. But it's not so bad. He gives them every luxury imaginable. He, he gives them every material possession he could ever want and every experience he could ever hope to have, just as long as it's within the palace walls, right? But, you know, he's hoping to kind of keep them, keep them happy until he's old enough to take over the throne and become the great leader, not the holy guy. So that that works fine for about the first 29 years or so but then Siddhartha is getting a little scritchy about things he has questions about life he is he's not feeling really great about you know 
where he is and what his life looks like. And he's very, very curious about what is outside of the palace walls. So he sneaks out of the palace with his friend Chana, chariot driver, and they take a very famous chariot ride outside of the palace walls. And it's here where Siddhartha encounters what become known in, in the mythology as the four sites. The first of the, the first three sites are an old person, a sick person, and a corpse on their way to a funeral pyre. And Siddhartha has no experience with any of these three. He's never, in, he's never, he has no understanding of what it means to be old, ill, or dead. And not only does he have no experience with what that is, he has no idea yet that that's going to happen to him too. So when he sees these, and when China kind of helps him to understand, oh, oh no, man, this is coming for all of us. All of us will get old. All of us will experience illness. All of us will die someday. It floors Siddhartha. He doesn't know what to make of it. He doesn't know what to do. They come upon the fourth site, and the fourth site is a holy man, a mendicant. And it's at this site where he understands, wow, there's, there's, there's a potential way out of this suffering, that there are people out there trying to find it, searching. There's a possibility here that, that I, could, I could escape this horrible fate of, of getting old, illness, and death. And so upon seeing this fourth site, Siddhartha renounces the throne. He makes the choice for the holy man, and he heads out into the wilds to, to try to find an answer. And for seven years, he wanders the, the countryside of, of northern India, trying to find some answer to the end of suffering. And he, and he goes through all sorts of very, very difficult uh, and ever-increasing ascetic practices, where he nearly starves himself, and he, he's gotta, he, he winds up looking like a like a zombie, right? There's some statues of him in this, in this way, and he looks literally just a, a skeleton, right? Uh, and it, finally, he, his body gives out, and he collapses. And a little girl named Sujata, who actually thinks he's a ghost at first, and he looks that bad, takes pity on him, has compassion for him, and gives him a little rice and milk. And upon receiving the, the, the little tiny bit of sustenance, and in great appreciation, he realizes, I gotta find another way, because this starving myself thing is not doing it. So, Siddhartha resolves to sit, I'm gonna sit under this fig tree over here, and I'm gonna meditate until the answer comes to me. And as the mythology goes, he sits there, and after a time, 49 days in the, in the, in the myth, he, he sees the morning star, the star of Venus, he has his great awakening. He is now the Buddha, although he doesn't call himself that. He calls himself the Tadaka, the Tathagata, the, the, the excuse me. And even that is, he runs into four guys and they, they don't even recognize him, even though they were fellow monks. Who are you? And he says, I am the gone thus forth. I am the Tathagata. It's only us that call him the Buddha afterwards. And, and, and he goes on to teach for the rest of his life and share his, <clears throat> uh, the wisdom he has learned in, in, in his own awakening so that we may awaken too. And that is an incredible story. Uh, and it's a, a true hero's journey, right? Right out of Joseph Campbell and Star Wars and 
Marvel movies, right? It's, it's, it's the journey of somebody becoming the hero, becoming the thing that they really are meant to, to become, and being able to do something really, really transformational for all of us with it. It's a story worthy of every single golden statue there is of the Buddha. But if you, if you dig into the details a little bit, I left a couple of details out. These details were the ones that kind of uh, I struggled with. First, uh, Siddhartha was married, you know, when he, was, when, he was, when he left. Her name was Yasodhara. And there are poems about Yasodhara being absolutely heartbroken when he left. Not only that, Yasodhara gave birth to their one and only child, a son, Rahula. And in some versions of the myth, she gives birth to Rahula on the day that Siddhartha leaves. Now, I, I'm sure what is happening for me here in this story is a whole bunch of modern-day modern judgment on a, on a guy that lived in a completely different culture 2,700 years ago, and there's probably all sorts of wonderful, justified, cultural, important reasons why he did what he did, why it was okay. But as a, a guy in, in uh, 20-something, when I first learned it, uh, reading this, I'm thinking, the dude abandoned his wife and kid. The venerable, world-honored Buddha, who people all over the world celebrate and, dare I say, worship, ditched his wife and kid on the day his kid was born. Who would do that? I have words for people that do that. Judgmental, horrible words for people that just up and leave their wife and kid on the day the child is born. And those words are anything but perfect. Now, as the, you know, as the mythology continues, they are eventually reunited after Siddhartha awakens to the Buddha and he starts his community, Yasudhara, his wife, actually becomes a nun in the community. Rahula, his son, becomes an adept pupil and it eventually is enlightened himself. And they hang out and they, they are with the Buddha. Uh, but man, man, if I couldn't like uh, shake that, that thing, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they got back together again, but you know, for s at least seven years, he wasn't there. He was no father. He was, I, I, I know people whose, whose fathers ran out on him. I know what that feels like to those people. I know it very well. And uh, so how do I reconcile this? You know, this is a paradox. How can the, the world-honored, venerable Buddha, who I too have found such tremendous uh, change in my own personal life, based on his teachings and the principles and psychology of, of what he taught. Be the guy who, who abandoned his wife and kid. How could that, how could it be? Uh, some time ago, uh, Sensei Tony uh, helped, helped me work my way through it. First and foremost, he helped me to, to <laughs> look at the story without so much judgment. You know, let's first and foremost, like, let's look at it with the, uh, compassion and uh, 
uh, and see if there's a if there's something we can make out of this that that is helpful instead of just sentence, sentencing Siddhartha and and you know doing what the ego self does right the ego self is a world my ego self everybody's but mine in this case there's a world of either or we are either the Buddha or you're a jerk like either you're worth listening to or I don't want to hear a thing you have to say right like it's very difficult to have this both and uh, true self experience as we as we often talk about in our four direction system of mindfulness that that maybe there's a maybe things aren't always so black and white and what what Sensei Tony suggested is what if we were to look at that fourth sight differently instead of you know it, in multiple versions of, of the story that I read, that fourth sight, the wandering mendicant, is always presented as an inspiration. He sees the wandering guy, he, and he, there's a, there's a way out of suffering. I, I will go into the wild now, and I will find the end of suffering, and I will bring it back to all so that humanity can be saved. The music happens and off we go. But what if we were to look at it from a very, very human perspective? What if we were to strip it all away and look at Siddhartha as a human? And what if we were to tell the story like this? There was a kid, because when I'm 49, so I can say this, when you're in your 20s, you're still pretty much a kid. <laughs> I, I, I feel still, still pretty much like a kid. But you, there's a lot of the world to still experience and learn. There's a guy in his 20s, kid in his 20s. He's going through an existential crisis. So much so that he kind of does something kind of forbidden. He escapes the palace walls to try to shake, it, shake himself free of it. And he encounters something that makes it even worse. You know, he encounters these things aging, illness, death. He's never seen him before. Now he's like completely floored. And then he finds out that his wife is pregnant. He doesn't know how to handle anything about life. He doesn't know, he doesn't know what he's going to do. So he panics. And in a, in a moment of desperation, he, he just says, I'm out. And, and he runs away. And in our, in our system of mindfulness, we, we align this with a type of eruption that we can all have, fundamentalist reaction, where we find meaning in life by projecting ourselves into some kind of group or political ideology or spiritual something that can kind of replace the pain that we have. And we, um, instead of actually dealing with the things that we need to deal with, we put all of our belief in this thing that is outside of us. What if that's what he did? What if Siddhartha did something super duper human? Instead of being like the vision of perfection, the, the prophecy, the, you know, the hero that was always born to come, what if he was just a guy that was going through a lot of struggles and he runs away? And, and, not or, or either, but and, he works it out. He, he goes through a lot of time trying to find an answer until eventually he sits under this tree. And, you know, of course, the legend of the Buddha is it's a battle under the tree. The demon Mara comes and throws everything there is at him. You know, lust and anger and greed and 
power and riches, and he tempts the Buddha with everything. And in the, in the grand myth of the Buddha, you know, he turns all of these into showers of lotus petals that fall gently to the sky. But what if, what if we think of it real, in a real way? What if under that tree, he sees himself clearly, and he sees what he did, and he knows that, like every human, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I do things that I don't feel good about. I regret, just like you do. And he works them out. He mindfully works them out. And he finds himself at a place of real, transcendent love for himself and for everyone. And awakens to infinite compassion for himself, for everyone. And this is really the cornerstone of the awakening of the Buddha. What if that's it? Because if that's it, then anybody could do that. You know, the, the legend Buddha, the perfect Buddha, it's, it's beautiful and the statues are, are really awesome, right? I, I have them and I love them and I look at them and I, and I, and I get something emotional from them. But I get something, I get wisdom from them too, right? But they also, you know, there's a temptation for those things to, to become idols, to become something we worship, and, and all of a sudden the Buddha isn't something, this Buddha nature, this seed of enlightenment that we all carry within us, starts to look like something that, you know, well, well maybe, but probably not me, right? That's like, that's something for special people under special circumstances. And I'm distanced from the idea that I can, wake, I can awaken to, that you can awaken to. If I see the story of the Buddha, however, as a story of an imperfect person who is able to mindfully see themselves in the world and life clearly and have an experience of true transformation, then that means anybody can. Anybody can. I can. The, the kid at the drive through window, the embezzling CEO, the stay-at-home mom who drinks too much, the Catholic priest who abuses kids, the political leader who uh, does more harm than good. All of us are Buddha. All of us can awaken. All of us, we are never defined by some aspect of our history, by, by some perceived notion of what we should be in our future, or by any kind of existing horrible description or definition we or anybody else may put on ourselves. We all truly have Buddha nature and can awaken, can overcome those definitions and bring infinite peace and light to not only ourselves, but to everyone. I choose to go with this version of the Buddha's mythology. To me, that is, while certainly very modern telling of it, it's one that makes sense to me. And ultimately, Buddhism is about, in my opinion, it's about what works. It's about the, the teachings that will actually be helpful to make my own personal experience here something uh, beautiful and filled with love. 
and with compassion so that I can then turn that over to everyone around me and maybe bigger, right? That, that I can create this universe or world out of love based on what I realize for myself and my own heart is true. And I think that's what's going on here. I hope that was helpful.